You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Barry and Honey Sherman were names that most Canadians had heard before, especially those who ran in the upper echelon circles of society. In fact, Canadian Business Magazine had Barry Sherman ranked as the 15th wealthiest person in Canada, with a fortune valued around $4.77 billion. Most of that wealth was amassed through Barry's role as CEO of the generic drug pharmaceutical company, Apotex, Inc. Barry Sherman fancied himself a sort of Robin Hood in terms of his role in the pharmaceutical industry. According to Ann Kingston and Michael Friscalanti, in their April 5th, 2018 article in McLean's entitled The Other Side of Barry Sherman, quote, he touted himself as a patent-busting underdog, the courtroom crusader bravely suing the Mercs and Pfizers and Bayers of the world, so he could provide needy patients with cheaper generics. If we're thieves, we're Robin Hoods, he once claimed, end quote. Additionally, per an article in the National Post by Claire Brownwell, Adrian Humphreys, and Jake Edmiston, quote, Sherman liked to characterize his fights with the patented drug makers as being in the interest of average people struggling to afford brand name drugs, going as far as accusing the multinational drug companies of raping Canada's healthcare system. End quote. The problem was that Barry Sherman was not seen by everyone as the hero that a Robin Hood character would make him out to be, not by a long shot. In fact, he had also made many enemies along the way in his growth of the company and his numerous court battles. Former Ontario Parliament member and late physician Morton Shulman went so far as to say of Barry Sherman in the same McLean's article that he was, quote, the only person I have ever met with no redeeming features whatsoever, end quote. It was the dichotomy of the view of the Shermans, Barry in particular, that was on everyone's mind when, on December 15, 2017, the bodies of both Barry and his wife were discovered by a real estate agent walking clients through the Shermans' home that was on the market. This is the case of Barry and Honey Sherman. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. 
and my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are in your favorite place this week, Maggie. Hello, Canada. I'm sure you were like, ding, 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 when you heard me say that. We're actually focused on a type of case that we don't cover as often. It's a case of a high-profile power couple. Oh, yeah, because normally it's like, you know. Small town. Average people. Right. So I know each week I try to give you an idea of who the people are who are involved, particularly the victims themselves. Mm -hmm. But this week, that image of the couple their relationships with others, and what was going on at this point in their lives when this crime happened is perhaps more important than ever, particularly in helping to figure out who might be responsible for their deaths. So this will actually be a two-part episode. Okay, we've not done one of those in a while. It has been a while. So I'm going to tell you about the individual players and the crime this week and then next week we will explore the theories and yes okay. there's enough theories to do a whole episode wow just on them well mm-hmm. i'm excited to get started yeah so let's begin by getting to know the shermans and i'm gonna start with honey sherman which what a cute okay. name by the I way i know it is cute honey mm-hmm. born honey reich Honey was the daughter of Holocaust survivors, and she was actually born in an Austrian displaced persons camp before her family came to Canada. Okay, I was going to ask you if she was of, like, Jewish descent because of that last name, and Mm -hmm. another place on my bucket list is Austria, so we're hitting all the points today. (laughs) All of Maggie's places. Yeah. Honey's whole life, she was extroverted, athletic, social, and full of life. She received her college education from the University of Toronto, and she got an education degree from Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. So, Oh, look at her. Yeah, Just like us, sort degree. of. That's right. I read in several sources that Honey began volunteering after college at Mount Sinai Hospital because she, well, and with a little nudge nudge from her mom, <laughs> had their heart set on Honey marrying a doctor. Right. So gotcha. what better place to meet one than to volunteer than at a at hospital. hospital. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was there where she met Barry Sherman, who was five years her elder. And while he was not an MD doctor, he was a PhD doctor. Okay. So, so maybe know. not exactly what mom thought, but right. close but enough. it still tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Bernard Charles Sherman, called Barry, 
was born on February 15, 1942, to hardworking entrepreneurial parents, Sarah Sherman, an occupational therapist, and Hyman Sherman, who was a business partner in a zipper factory. Hmm. Barry had fond memories of actually going to the zipper factory with his father, and on one such occasion, and this was when Barry was pretty young, his father asked young Barry to count and box zippers. This is what the factory workers were doing, and he probably, let's be honest, wanted just to keep him busy. Little, Little hands busy. But what Barry remembers is how proud his father was of his efficiency and the fact that this was reported in Matt Campbell's October 14th, 2018 article in Bloomberg. Barry had filled, quote, more than would have been done in the same time by any of his paid staff. End quote. Oh, so his little hands were very busy. <laughs> very busy. Busier than any of the workers. Any yeah. of the paid workers. But that Barry also felt a little bit insulted, even though he was just a child, that his father felt the need to go behind him and count the zippers Aww, just to make sure, just to make sure. <laughs> that he had put the right number in the box. And of course he had. So pride in this self-sufficiency and in their work ethic really ran strong in the Sherman family. And maybe that's why why they were so successful. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that Barry's family was now successful with his father's role in that zipper company, they had known loss. Barry's grandparents had fled to the United States to flee Jewish persecution in Europe. So similar background for Barry and for Honey. Mm Mm-hmm. And even in Barry's life, he had known loss because he had lost his father when he was only 10 years old. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So very, very young. And it was then that Barry became the legal heir of his uncle and aunt, Lou and Beverly Winter who had been unable to have children. And I didn't read what happened to Barry's mom. Anywhere? Okay, that's what I was about to ask if we knew. Yeah. So I'm I'm unsure as to what happened there. But after adopting Barry, they adopted another baby boy. And during that adoption process, and from what I hear, this happens quite often, Beverly actually became pregnant. Yeah, like almost everyone I know, as soon as they adopt a baby, they become pregnant. Mm-hmm. So she actually later gave birth to three children over the course of the next few years. Mm -hmm. They had a big family. Yeah. So now they've got five there. And all of that was before her diagnosis of leukemia. Wow. Yeah. Despite hardships, even personal ones, Barry succeeded, mostly because he was incredibly bright. According to an article in Toronto Life by Geraldine Sherman, Barry suffered from severe lethargy his whole life. And so in the fifth grade, this is really sad and this kind of shows you how mean kids are, but he was called grandpa by his classmates Mm -hmm. just because he really struggled to move fast and get going. And I even read that for his whole life, he really struggled even just to get out of bed to start the day. Wow. And that, you mm-hmm. know, that would be really hard for a little kid because you're wanting oh, yeah. to play and run mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Now, I mean, now I'd be fine. It wouldn't be any different yeah. than my normal daily <laughs> 
sitting in a chair. But despite his body not wanting to work, his mind was always working. In high school, he won a national physics award. In 1958, when he was only 16, he enrolled in college. He enrolled in the University of Toronto's engineering program. Impressive. Mm -hmm. And after graduating from the University of Toronto, he went on to get his doctorate in astrophysics from MIT, graduating in 1967. I know you don't know this, but it sounds very Big Bang Theory. Again. I know. Well, we talked about astrophysics Mm -hmm. with uh, the Rodney Marks case. So, yeah, it definitely makes sense. And he actually had dreams and plans to eventually work for NASA. But during college, all throughout his educational career, especially during the summers, Barry would work as a driver for his uncle's company. So, you know, just to have a a summer job and, mm -hmm. but he was given a little bit greater supervisory roles in the company whenever his uncle was out of town. I'm sure he did well at that. Oh, yeah. And, And again, it's like this entrepreneurial spirit, I think, that Barry got from his dad, too. And so now he's seeing it with his uncle. And it was really that work with his uncle's pharmaceutical company that seemed to show Barry that this is what he was meant to do with his life, to work in pharmaceuticals rather than at NASA exploring space. And so that's a pretty big shift. Oh yeah. A complete shift in careers. But Barry's life truly began to change with another family goodbye. That goodbye came in the form of the loss of his uncle, Lou or Lewis was his full name, Winter, right? That same uncle who adopted him, who he worked for, Mm -hmm. who ran Empire Laboratories Drug Company, his uncle died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. Okay, one of my greatest fears. Mine too. And then, 17 days later, in November 1965, Barry's aunt Beverly lost her battle with leukemia. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So like, literally all of his loved ones are just dying. And he has mm-hmm. siblings, mm-hmm. right? Because they had a large yeah. family. Yeah. So technically his siblings are his cousins, but yeah, 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 exactly. They're kind of in that in-between stage. They left behind, obviously, like you just said, Lou and Beverly did, those four other children. And those children, they were too young to take over their father's company, also too young to live on their own. Because again, Barry was quite a bit older than even the oldest of them. So since Beverly, and I believe it's because she grew up, you know, in the Jewish faith and she wanted Mm. her four children to grow up in the Jewish faith, she actually clarified in her will that she didn't want any of her family members to adopt her children because I guess they weren't practicing And so those four children were put into foster care. Which I don't know that that's really any better. Oh, I I know. I know. And of course, Barry, he's older at this point. He's now alone, but he's age 22. 
So he's at least old enough to take care of himself. And he actually Mm -hmm. offered to take over his uncle's company, even though he was still enrolled at MIT at the time. But the board of trustees at Empire Laboratories refused. And, you know, you know, Barry, he's driven. So that refusal, it only fueled someone like him. So two years later, when he graduated from MIT, he made another offer. This one came after Barry showed that board of trustees that they were losing money. I mean, their profits had gone down about 20% in one year. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so that made the trustees finally ready to just sell the company outright. So this time, Barry partnered with a close friend, Joel Ulster, and they made an offer for majority stock in the company. And various sources said different purchase prices, but they were all between $250,000 and $450,000. And that offer was accepted. Wow. But there were stipulations. They said that if Barry still owns majority share in the company when his four cousins, so Lewis and Beverly's four sons, Mm -hmm. turned 21, this was a first stipulation, that they be allowed to work for the company. Okay, that's fair. And the second stipulation was that those four cousins could, when they turned 23, have the option to buy a 5% stake in the company, as well as receive a royalty on a select number of the company's products. Okay, so just so that I am understanding Mm -hmm. everything. Barry initially says like, hey, I want to be part of this company. They say no. And Mm then um, a couple years later, he comes back with one of his friends and is like, you're losing money. And they decide to sell the company and they purchase majority stock. Yes. With the stipulation that the four cousins can have a job there if Mm -hmm. wanted and be able to purchase stock and get royalties. Correct. Okay. Yes. So Because they're thinking, we've got to protect... They were called, I think they called them the the orphan children Aww. or something like that is what the, the board of trustees referred to them as. But they wanted to make sure that they were protected. Okay. Right? So well, that's, I mean, that's why they good. made That's these... nice. Yeah. But obviously, this is if Barry still owns the company by the time they turn that age. Should mm-hmm. Barry sell the company, then, of course, he would no longer be responsible for providing for his cousins because he can't. Oh, so he I bet he felt a lot of pressure, though, mm-hmm. in a way, because, I mean, I'm sure he loves them. So he wants to keep this going so that he can provide them with something, I'm sure. But it doesn't end up happening. Oh. In 1969, Barry Sherman began swapping shares in his uncle's company And he actually sold his portion by early 1972, thus making his agreement to help his cousins null and void, which unfortunately left them with nothing from their father's legacy. But, you know, I wonder why the father and mother didn't do more to ensure that their children were provided for in regards to, like, the company. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, make sure that that's in a will or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. And 
to be fair, Barry had over the years, because remember his cousins are in the foster system, Mm -hmm. he had lost touch with his cousins over the years. But I bet that kind of left a bitter taste in their mouth, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. We will definitely be talking about it. Yes. So instead, here, now that he's selling shares in the company and he's sold his majority share, Barry instead used the funds he generated from that sale. So remember, he bought the company Empire Laboratories for between two hundred fifty and 450000 but he sold it for around $2 million. Okay, so a little, mm-hmm. he made a pretty good profit there. Yes, and he used that money to found his own pharmaceutical company, Apotex, a year later in 1973. And I'll tell you so more about that company know... in a minute. Okay, and when you were talking about that here in a bit, do we know, like, I'm obviously not a business person, but what would be the point of you have a pharmaceutical company You sell your shares in it just to open up another one. I think he thought, so the Empire Laboratories, his uncle started it. It was more um, like a smaller market because they were focused on things like urine tests. Oh, okay. tests and things like that as a laboratory and he's wanting to be- start a pharmaceutical company. Okay, So gotcha. it was a little different. But gotcha. before we get really into the company, I want to step back just a second to 1971. Because remember, he sold the company in 72, started his own pharmaceutical company in 73. In 1971, Barry was, you know, in the process of selling his uncle's company to start his own, Mm -hmm. that shift in work life, when his personal life changed as well, because he married Honey. And that was only a year after meeting her in 1970. So they moved quick. Mm, Well, when you know, know, you know. When you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So as I mentioned earlier, Honey was also the child of Holocaust survivors. But from the research I completed... That seems to be where the similarities between Barry and Honey ended. And so they met at the Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. And I think they met through mutual friends. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So it appears to me that, and to most everyone around them, they were polar opposites. Well, yeah, because you said she's, like, very extroverted and mm-hmm. outgoing, and mm-hmm. he seems to be, you know, more just kind of introverted and focused on his studies or his business, not mm-hmm. necessarily his social life. Exactly. Yeah. The McLean's article that I read, that I referenced in the episode's introduction, I think it said it best. They stated the following, quote, publicly, the Shermans operated as a formidable team. Honey skillfully organized the home front, family vacations, holiday dinners, while her husband focused on the business. She was the company's best ambassador. As her husband waged war with critics and enemies, Honey forged alliances among the powerful who populate the nonprofit sector, using her charm and determination to help others, end quote. Because it was, like you said, Honey was social and personable, and she was in shape. She was a people person who greeted 
everybody with a smile and a pat on the arm. Which I think any successful businessman wants a wife that's like that. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. you can count on to like flatter people and kind of sell, almost help you sell your business, you know? Mm -hmm. She called herself his trophy wife who he met a little bit early. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, she was cheerful all the time about nearly everything. There were times that she would joke about things like maybe Barry's work schedule. Because, Mm -hmm. remember, I said they're polar opposites. Barry was a workaholic. And, obviously, with his lethargy problems, he led a much more sedentary life. Mm -hmm. And he would actually be in the office every day from 10 to 8. Oh, good. Yeah, that is a long day. Mm -hmm. And because he was an insomniac, he would continue sending work emails from home, even into the early morning hours. Wow. No, I've got to have my sleep. (laughs) Right. Even when he was on vacation, while Honey and the kids, and they had four children together, were enjoying the beach or the golf course or the ski slopes, Barry would be in the room, the clubhouse, or the lodge running numbers or sending emails. Wow. So he was dedicated. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was. And it doesn't seem like Barry Sherman really ever allowed himself the chance to rest mentally. I mean, there were times he would go to his son's sporting events or things like that, but those were few and far between. And I'm sure even when he's there, he's mentally thinking of 110 things he needs to be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Barry and Honey at times also viewed money differently. And to illustrate, I mean, Honey wasn't, you know, out there blowing through all their cash she flew economy she saved money where she could but she also liked to indulge on some items Mm -hmm. barry on the other hand was definitely not what you would call a big spender on barry's 50th birthday that's a big birthday right your 50th birthday, birthday honey bought him a red sports car as a gift complete with a big bow But after everyone left, he said, you need to return it. He's Rodney. I know. That's what I thought. (laughs) I was like, this is my husband. This is what he does. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But one source actually said in terms of cars that Barry had only had four or five cars in his entire adult life. And he was 75 when this case takes place. Wow. Mm -hmm. So he drove the tires off those things. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think he was concerned at all about the quote unquote things that his money could buy him. Like materialistic things. Mm -mm. Yeah. Not concerned at all. But at the same time, it does appear as though he would indulge his wife when... You know, she wanted to make oh, as he should, yeah, as he should. Yes, agreed. She drove a new vehicle. She would plan family vacations, and in late 2016, she actually convinced Barry to sell their current home on Old Colony Road in North York and buy a lot in the Forest Hill area, which was closer to downtown Toronto and where a lot of their friends resided. So, I mean, he was pretty happy in their house. You know, he was Mm -hmm. like, this is all I need. And it was a big house that they were already living in. But 
she convinced him, no, let's build this final home. This will be our forever home. Mm -hmm. And so the lot for the new home was purchased in November 2016, but the plans for their new home actually required them to file 15 separate variances to get approval for building. So are you familiar with what a variance is? Like that you would be able to build like a garage that did was this big or could do X, Y, and Z, or that your house could be, you know, this, do this, or be this large or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So let's say the deed restrictions say a structure has to be this many yards or feet off of the property line. Then if mm -hmm. you want it closer, yeah, you'd have to file a variance. So they actually had 15 separate ones. Wow. And one of those actually was to get approval to have a car stacker in the garage. Oh. So they had, yeah. So Interesting. actually all 15 of those were approved in June 2017 and plans truly began to build what Honey envisioned as their dream home. A 16,000 wow. square foot house with a wing for staff. A 41-foot swimming pool inside and the like. That would almost fit eight of my houses in it. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, <clears throat> I'd get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though the new house's construction was only just beginning, the Shermans decided to go ahead and place their current home on the market. And I didn't read why, since they were only starting to build and that takes a while. Yeah, because then they could potentially be homeless for a little while. Yeah, unless they had... And I'm going to assume a 16,000 square foot home does not go up as quickly as like a 3,000 no. square foot home. Yeah. No, it does not. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they did go ahead and place their current home on the market with a price tag of $6.9 million. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as you can probably imagine, it too was opulent. It had a lap pool in the basement. It had tennis courts and just about every luxury that you could possibly imagine. If it gives you any idea, construction began on this home, the one that they're putting up for sale. Construction began in 1991 and it wasn't completed until 1996. Wow. So it took five years to build. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. And even though they were asking nearly $7 million for the home in 2017, it had, air quotes only, cost them $2.3 to build yeah, back change. in the early 90s. But the Shermans were actually set to earn quite a profit and not just the price difference between 2.3 million and 7 million especially because even at the time of the home's construction most of that 2.3 million building cost they had been able to recoup hmm. because as you will come to see here in a moment Barry was no stranger to being in the courtroom and he wasn't afraid to fight for what he thought he deserved. So during the building of the home that they're putting on the market, Barry and Honey Sherman argued that the garage that was built, which was actually multiple levels, it was tied to the tennis court, the pool, and then the garage itself, that it was a, quote, disaster, end quote, and was faulty in the construction. 
They filed no fewer than 12 claims against the contractor, and they recouped nearly all the money that they had put into the home's construction. I read in one source that they received around $2 million in the settlement with the contractor, and they had only paid $2.3 million for the entire construction So they cost. nearly paid their house off like mm-hmm. right away. They only owed $300,000. Wow. Throughout the family's growth in and out of homes, Barry's focus had primarily been on growing something else as well. Apotex Inc., his company. And in that growth, he was always focused 10 steps ahead, which I think is probably what you have to do if you're very, very Mm -hmm. successful, especially in a cutthroat industry. Yeah. So to illustrate, and the story I'm going to tell you, it it really shows Barry's legal acumen as well. But when Barry Sherman sold his uncle's company, remember that happened in 1972, Mm -hmm. the group who purchased it had actually added a non-compete agreement into the closing documents that Mm -hmm. the individuals who were selling this company would not go into the drug business for five years. I'm assuming in some type of technicality, he avoided the non-compete. He did. So, I mean, again, this, it shows how good he is in the courtroom. I mean, he recouped almost their entire 2.3 million from their house In this particular instance, he sold the company, his uncle's company, in 1972, and he started his own, Apotex, in 1973 without technically breaking the non-compete because his shares in his uncle's company were actually purchased under a company name, Bernard C. Sherman, LTD, and not under his own name. So because the company who was buying Empire Laboratories didn't notice the omission of Barry as an individual, he was technically not bound by the non-compete and was able to start his own business the very next year. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's how good he is at finding I'm the impressed. loopholes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his whole career was filled with examples like that one or times when Barry would perpetually fight to get generic versions of drugs that Apotex had created out in the market before they were technically supposed to be released. So obviously these court battles, and there were many of them, they cost Apotex a significant amount of money, but they actually made the company even more profit. Oh, so it was worth it. Right. In 2016, now remember, again, he began the company in 1973. So he's been growing this company for a long time. But in 2016, the reported revenue from Apotex was $1.5 billion a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. No. I get excited over, you know, a hundred bucks. So Well, I found a hundred dollars in my wallet that I forgot <gasps> I had and I felt like I won the lottery. <laughs> I bought baby clothes with it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Yeah. So I can't imagine $1.5 billion. But at the same time that that was his yearly revenue, his number of filed claims in court by that point was around 1,200. 
So you can probably guess that because of his gusto in the courtroom, Barry Sherman and his company had made many, many enemies. Well, yeah, I can see that. I think it would be kind of annoying. Like you see his name pop up in a court case and you're just going to roll your eyes Mm because it's like the hundredth time he's been in there that year. He's always there. And of all of those actions taken by Barry Sherman, though, there are really two that stand out as the ones that led to the most criticism. So I want to go ahead and take a moment to discuss those now. The first of those cases involves University of Toronto hematologist, Dr. Nancy Olivieri. At the time, she was head of research on hemoglobin disorders at the Hospital for Sick Children. In the 90s, Canada had actually passed some patents that made generic medications less profitable for Apotex and other generic drug companies. And so, you know, of course, the Shermans, they want to make a profit. So Mm -hmm. Barry Sherman had actually set out to increase development for his own branded medications, right? Because he's thinking, well, if I can't make as much profit off generic medications, I'll just create some with my own brand under Apotex. One of those medications that was being tested was used to treat a specific blood disorder. But after the clinical trials, Dr. Olivieri had concerns about the safety of this new drug, and she published findings saying so, despite having signed a confidentiality agreement. So that's how concerned she was about this medication. She was like, Screw the confidentiality agreement. I'm publishing my findings. Yeah, I can't let this drug go to market with my concerns. Well, because she broke a confidentiality agreement, Apotex filed a lawsuit. And remember, she works for the University of Toronto. That was Dr. Olivieri's employer. I bet she worked for them because I bet they fired her. Well... Yes, because the University of Toronto was actually set to receive a $20 million donation from the Shermans. So they let Dr. Olivieri go. So they would get that money. Mm-hmm. Money talks, baby. I know. And during that same time of the patent laws that were affecting those generic drug corporations, Barry Sherman was doing everything he could to fight those patents, right? That would, you know... He wanted to protect his generic drug company, so he started supporting political candidates who promised to fight those patents if they were put into office. And what's more, the University of Toronto, remember there, that's Dr. Olivieri's former employer, Mm -hmm. but they fire her because they're expecting to get that donation from the Shermans. The University of Toronto actually wrote a letter to the government against those patents, so basically saying, like, we're going to support the Shermans, right? Like... Keep keep those patents away. And when their letters had no effect and the patents were passed anyway, Barry withdrew his millions of dollars worth of promise contributions to the university. Okay. So, again, just to, to clarify for me. Mm-hmm. So, the Canadian government is trying to pass a patent that would mm-hmm. say that generic drugs can't like cap off the prices basically right. like they are too, yes. they're too high and the university of toronto is like that's the stupidest idea i've ever heard and they mm-hmm. send that letter to the government mm-hmm. 
And the government's like, we don't care. We're passing it anyways. Mm -hmm. And even though they supported Barry, Barry's Mm -hmm. like, screw the University of Toronto. I'm keeping my money. Yes. Okay. So you can see why that moved. Yeah, might have made some people mad. Yeah. We talk all the time about the power of DNA to solve crimes because it uniquely identifies us as well as our traits. Codex Lab is taking the power of DNA and also using it for good in creating skincare treatment that's specifically designed just for you. Use their Derm Score feature to not only find what products you need, but also to continually measure your skin's progress using the products. As their mission statement states, they are, quote, committed to creating the highest standard in sustainable skin care and biotech plant-based alternatives to restore and protect the skin barrier and support a healthy microbiome. The products address key skincare concerns and conditions, including eczema, psoriasis, sensitive dry and inflamed skin. The brand has been heralded by dermatologists for creating effective, clinically proven skincare that brings a new data-driven and transparent approach to beauty, end quote. They sell ingestible dietary supplements as well as skincare because they believe in the connection between your skin health and your digestive health. Again, your DNA and their scientific research drives their product, and we can't wait for you to try them as well. To try Codex Labs products yourself, to see just how effective they are, go to www.codexlabscore.com. That's C-O-D-E-X. L-A-B-S-C-O-R-P dot com and try DermScore. When you decide which products work best for your skin, use the code COFFEE20 to receive 20% off your purchase. Every morning I wake up and crave coffee, but I was getting tired of the same old thing and the effects of the coffee didn't feel as strong anymore. Then I heard of Layered Superfood and their coffee that is chocked full of adaptogens. I wanted all the natural energy and focus boosters that their coffee has to offer. So we tried it. Allison tried the medium roast pods with the mocha creamer and the sweet and creamy creamer. And I tried the medium roast ground coffee. Let me just say our taste buds were not disappointed. We upped our coffee game and had a whole new experience of flavors. All layered products are sustainably sourced and thoroughly tested to ensure that you're incorporating the cleanest, finest fuel into your routine with no artificial additives. Take one thing you do every day and make it better with Layered Superfoods Functional Superfood Creamers, Instant Lattes, and Prebiotic Greens. Every product is full of wholesome, plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for wherever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to layeredsuperfood.com forward slash coffee and cases and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code coffee and cases at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. My daughter and I love smoothies. What we don't love are smoothie bar prices. With our BlendJet 2 portable blender, we can make smoothie bar quality drinks for a fraction of the price. 
BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. And it's small enough to fit in your cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through those tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Even better, BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Plus, it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. You guys have heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Best of all, the BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. Plus, they have so many trendy colors to choose from that the hardest decision will be which design you want to rock. What are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code COFFEEINCASESBLEND12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code COFFEEINCASESBLEND12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. All right, Maggie. So a second litigation that brought a lot of criticism for Barry Sherman <laughs> happened in 2011 when the Winter Boys, remember Barry's four cousins who had been set to inherit a 5% stake in their father's company, sued Barry Sherman. Okay, so the Winter Boys are the cousins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Their argument was that Without the sale of their father's company, which happened in 1972, Barry would not have been able to found Apotex in 1973. Therefore, they argued, they should receive shares of Apotex instead, mm. or at least the monetary equivalent of those shares, $1 billion. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't happy with that, though. He was not. And as soon as the lawsuit was filed, whatever way Barry Sherman had been supporting his cousins stopped. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that support here in just a second. So okay. this battle between Barry and his cousins continued for several years until September 2017. So it starts in 2011. It continues to 2017 when a superior court justice ruled that the cousins' wishes were, quote, wishful thinking and beyond fanciful, end quote. Oh, okay. Now, to understand why, because I think to some people, they're like, okay, well, that seems fair, what they're saying, right? That perhaps that is true. He couldn't have bought that company without their dad's company, right? Mm-hmm. So here was Barry Sherman's argument, and it was that after his aunt and uncle's deaths, the boys were adopted, and he had lost touch with them. 
When a gentleman named Stan Garden actually came to Barry Sherman in 1988, he told Barry that he had run into Barry's cousins and that many of them were not doing well. So Barry loses touch with them. And then in 1988, this guy comes and says, hey, I ran into your cousins and they need help. Well, you know, that's a little stereotypical of the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was then, as soon as Barry heard that in 1988, that he again involved himself in their lives and he began supporting most of the four financially, including funding business ventures, buying them homes. And so when they sued Barry, you know, he, that was harsh to him, Mm -hmm. right? Because he's feeling like, you know, I've been. Like I have supported you. Yeah, financially supporting them since 1988. And so when they sued Barry, he was so hurt, he actually turned around and sued at least one of them, one of the sons, back for $8 million, which is the amount that he had given just that one cousin in loans over the years. Well, sir, that is a significant amount of money that Mm -hmm. you've been given. Mm -hmm. And so... Of course, Barry got a lot of criticism for that because, you know, when family sues family and it gets mm. dirty and messy, there can be a lot of criticism. But And I don't want all of this talk about Barry Sherman in court and all of those things to make you believe that the Shermans were completely stingy with their money. Far from it. I mean, I feel like, as you can tell by the fact that he financially supported his cousins. Mm -hmm. But they, Barry and Honey, also donated millions of dollars each year to charities, including the United Way. They donated medicine to disaster areas. They donated money toward a geriatric center at Baycrest Health Sciences. And most notably, even though Barry himself was an atheist, to the United Jewish Appeal and other Jewish charities. And this wasn't wow. like just one million, two million. I'm talking like fifty million is what they're donating. Wow, got to bring mm-hmm. that taxable income down, right? So, well, that that's part of it. We'll talk about it here in a second. But Kingston and Friscalanti's article in McLean's also notes that Barry would often also loan money to Apotex employees who needed financial assistance. Well, so that's if somebody, nice. Yeah, if somebody came to him and they're like, hey, I could really use some help, that he would help them out. But, of course, even with their generosity, the Shermans had their critics, perhaps because of Barry's litigious nature, you know, his always ready to go to court. And because of his financial success, there were people who doubted his true intentions with the donation. So there were some critics who say... That because of Canadian tax laws, which is what you were just talking about, (laughs) um, that, you know, it it did take down their taxable income. And it actually, when you would donate to foundations, those foundations could then loan money back to you. And that Barry was actually able to recoup much of his donated monies. And then they also, the critics, they said... You know, if he really cared 
about the Canadian people, then that doesn't jive with how often he's in court. Because they argue that just the amount of time spent in court fighting the Canadian government over the release of various generic versions of drugs, or when Apotex wanted to release those drugs to the public ahead of time, which were Mm -hmm. around 83 separate actions against Health Canada in the 90s alone, that Sherman had, for all intents and purposes, actually cost Canadian taxpayers millions of dollars. You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but that is kind of a good point. Mm-hmm. And so it's because of that reason that people question how heartfelt the donations were. And I mean, I get it. I understand why they felt mm-hmm. that way. But at the same time, I don't know if I believe that Barry Sherman saw his lawsuits against the government as hurting the Canadian As taking citizens, taxpayer money. Right. Yeah. As much as just fighting big government. So even though I don't think that was his intent to harm the Canadian people, Mm. Barry Sherman, I don't know if he was really, he didn't lose sleep, I don't think, if people viewed him badly either. Well, I think you kind of have to have tough skin when you're involved in any kind of way with the public. I mean, we've talked about that just with, Mm -hmm. you know, reviews that we get Mm -hmm. on the show. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine being like a multi-billion dollar owner of a pharmaceutical company? In a cutthroat business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he even, even when hearing the news of Barry and Honey's death, there was the executive of a competing company who had what Matt Campbell who's a reporter, called in his Bloomberg article about the case, quote, unprintable language to wow. say about the billionaire. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he definitely mm-hmm. had to have some tough skin then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from my research, it also feels to me like Barry Sherman was one of those people, as much as he had that tough skin and he was fine if people didn't like him, he also trusted people innately Mm -hmm. until they tried to undermine him or stab him in the back. So Rodney is a fan of this one Roadhouse movie saying that's says something like be nice until it's time not to be nice. Mm -hmm. And that's that's how he was. mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause then the gloves were off if you stabbed him in the back. And unfortunately he actually put trust in a lot of people over the years that was misguided. Um, So he would fund business ventures of friends or even acquaintances, and he was burned more than once. Just one friend alone who he loaned money to went bankrupt, and it cost Barry around $100 million. Wow. Yeah. But he was always looking for the next big thing and these new business ventures to invest in. So he was very, very busy. And then Honey was also busy in her role as a public figure for the company because she's going to all of these charity engagements and she's also Mm -hmm. frequently at meetings. So at the end of 2017, the pair were almost always in a meeting of some sort, either concerning court or work or business ventures or charity boards or meeting with contractors about their new home. And one thing I will say for them is that no matter what they were doing, they were there and involved. Well, again, I feel like just kind of speaks to why they were so successful. I don't think Mm -hmm. they half did anything. Right. Yeah, nothing at all. 
So on December 12th, 2017, when Honey Sherman didn't show up to a board meeting for the Baycrest Center Foundation, the other board members found it so bizarre that they emailed her to make sure everything was okay. Ooh, it's giving me, it's probably not okay vibes. Well, so she did email them back and she said that she was just, quote, dealing with some stuff, end quote. And that was why she wasn't Hmm. at the meeting. And I mean, sure, that was vague. Yes, absolutely. But it could be because the Shermans were currently dealing with a lot of stuff, especially with building their home and all those other personal engagements. You know, because, again, she's on the board for many charities. She's constantly running around. The next day, on December 13th, Honey actually went to Apotex in late afternoon, early evening to meet Oh, see, Haley. I thought she was already dead, so no. she's not dead at this point. Nope, okay. she's just dealing with some stuff on the 12th. So on the 13th, and this could have been part of what she was dealing with, because Honey went to Apotex to meet with Barry and some of their contractors on the new home, because they were going to mm-hmm. talk about some potential design changes so that could have been the some stuff that she was dealing with Mm -hmm, because they have this meeting with the contractors the next day honey left apotex around 5 p.m and barry's got another four hours of work to put in (laughs) he does yeah per usual barry stayed several hours longer before heading home and most people agree that he left around his normal time of between 8 and 9 p.m because he sent an email from his work computer at 8 13 and that was right before he gathered up his things and left but that was the last message barry sherman would send No, I know. No further emails or calls that night came. And that should have sent off alarm bells to anybody who knew Barry. Oh, yeah. You said that he would like work up until the early morning sending Mm -hmm. emails and text messages. Yep. But no other messages ever came. Mm. And then something even more out of character happened. Barry didn't show up at Apotex at all on December 14th. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. So to me, that should have meant that someone went to check on Barry. Yeah. But as far as I know, no one ever did. So I feel like if, and it's a big if, he missed work, someone would have known, like, Barry's not coming in today. Right. So if he didn't show up. I feel like, and no one knew that he wasn't going to be there. I feel like that should have been like an alarm bell. And I doubt he ever missed work. So it should have been an even bigger red flag. I know. And I did see in one source that at this point, he wasn't like the functioning CEO of Apotex. He was much more like the figure, but he was still Mm -hmm. there every day. So his being missing, his absence, should have still raised alarms. Exactly. But this the discovery of Barry and Honey Sherman didn't happen until the next day, December 15th, 2017. 
The 15th began as any normal day for the house caretakers and workers. The cleaning lady came in. She began working. They actually had a person who was hired just to come in and water the plants. And that person showed up to do so. Which if I, I were wealthy, the lottery. if I were wealthy, that is what I would need because I kill every mm-hmm. plant I've ever owned because I forget to water it. So I would need I'll a plant have waterer. Good intentions, and then mm-hmm. I just that becomes like the least of my priorities is remembering yeah. to water my plants. Yeah. So the plant waterer showed up. The only people who normally weren't there but who were there the morning of the 15th was the real estate agent who had come to meet yes it is yeah who had come to meet potential buyers and the buyer's agent and she saw the sherman's cars they were in the driveway but the sherman's themselves were nowhere to be found so the agent and the buyers began touring the home then during the tour at around 10 a.m The Sherman's agent walked a little bit ahead toward the indoor pool that was in the basement of the home. And when she opened that door, the lights were off, but the underwater lights from the pool were on. So it kind of gave Mm -hmm. a glow so she could see into the room. And she saw the bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman. Oh, how traumatic. Yes. You're just there to show a home and you mm -hmm. open a door and there's dead people. Yes. So not wanting to alarm anybody who didn't need to be alarmed, she just closed the door, said, oh, this portion of the home is off limits for the moment, and then as quickly as possible got the potential buyers and their agent out the door. Way for her to remain calm during a crazy situation. Yeah, I would not have. The real estate agent then didn't immediately call the police. She actually called Honey's sister to ask what she should do and is that because they're like wealthy upstanding people is that why because it's a little weird but i feel like in all the movies where you know really wealthy people die they're always you know calling their father or their you know Mm -hmm. aunt or whoever to see what to do well because you if you think about it as soon as that phone call is made there are reporters who are constantly scanning the Oh, like emergency the emergency scanners radios. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so the moment this gets announced or even the address, the rumor mill is going to start. Yeah, I read an article that this could be not the right person, but I want to say like Kobe Bryant's family or somebody like really high profile found mm-hmm. out about their dead relative through a TMZ report. Mm-hmm. Like before the police had even got to their house. Well, it actually happened in, despite the fact that this real estate agent is trying to deal with the situation as delicately as possible, that actually happened for the Sherman's children. Wow. That, that, mm-hmm. So over an hour after finding the bodies, the police were called to the home for a quote unquote medical situation. Okay, so we're being kind of vague. Yes, and law enforcement arrived around 11.45 a.m. When the police got to the Sherman home, they found a chilling scene. The fully clothed bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman were on the ground in an upright seated position with their backs against the railing that surrounded the pool. 
They had winter coats on their bodies, but the coats were like pulled down over their shoulders as if to pin their arms down. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Though specific details of the coats weren't given, I got the impression that they weren't wearing the coats as in their arms and the sleeves wearing the coats, Mm -hmm. but the coats were kind of wrapped around them and closed around them that's the impression yeah, that's i what got you yeah that when you described that that their arms were kind of pinned down that's mm-hmm. what i pictured like they're mm-hmm. in the coats but their arms aren't through the sleeves mm-hmm. but it gets even more specific maggie so much so that law enforcement believe the bodies to have been staged So Honey's legs were both stretched out straight in front of her, but Barry's legs also stretched out in front of him. Well, one of them was because his right leg was crossed over his left leg, like near the knee. His glasses were sitting on his nose in the same position they always were, and not even a hair on his head seemed tussled. Okay, so not how you would expect to find two people that were murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. So when police arrived, there were no vital signs. And because of the stage of rigor mortis, most sources explain that the police soon began believing that the couple had likely died on the 13th, which was the last night that anybody heard from them. Okay, so that's when Barry leaves the office around like 8.15? Yes. Now, you might be wondering how the bodies were sitting upright rather than slumped over. Mm Mm-hmm. What held them upright was clear to anybody looking at the bodies because both Barry and Honey had men's belts wrapped around their necks. The loose end had gone through the belt buckle and been tightened around their neck, and then that end of the belt was wound around the pool railing, and that was holding their bodies upright. So were they choked to death? Yes. According to the autopsy, both had died of ligature neck compression. Honey alone also had some sort of facial injury, though the extent of the injury, conjecture about what caused it, I didn't read in any of my research. But for some, that detail of the facial injury alone indicated to them that maybe Honey was the primary focus of the attack. Which seems a little weird to me. Mm -hmm. I mean... I feel like if you're going to harm either one of them, I think Barry would have made more enemies than Honey. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that actually in next week's episode. But Hmm. upon deeper investigation, law enforcement actually believed that Honey was attacked in another part of the house. And I, I don't know why they believe that other than just one tiny detail that I saw in a couple of the sources that police found Honey's cell phone in a bathroom that family said honey never used making them wonder that you know maybe she had seen an intruder in the home and she tried to Uh, run and she got there makes sense they also found a stack of home inspection papers and barry's leather gloves laying on top of them just inside the door that led in from the basement garage so again it says though Barry left something in a weird place. Police found Mm. no forced entry into the home. Not as though there were really a need for forced entry, though, because painting was going on, right? They're getting the house ready to sell. 
Painting was going on and a window had been left open. And a basement door had been left unlocked, as was custom for the Shermans to do. This was a door that I think they often left unlocked. So I wonder where in this house, because I'm assuming it's like a mansion. Mm -hmm. So where in this house was the window open? Was it like on the first level? Would it have been easily accessible? And then I also wonder, could this have been someone they knew and they Mm. knew that this basement door would be unlocked? Hmm. We will talk about all of those things next week. Mm. Yes. So, but let me tell you just a little bit more about the crime. So even... If those conditions were not true, that there wasn't an open window or the basement door was not unlocked, those close to the family did say that if anyone, even a stranger, had knocked on the door asking for help, that either Barry or Honey would have let them in. I am not so trusting. So while officers were treating the deaths as suspicious, Even law enforcement had to tread lightly because of the high-profile victims. So initially, they didn't even name the victims to the media. They just stated that two bodies had been found in the home. I mean, it's not going to be hard to put two and two together because Barry's not coming to work. Right. So when Apotex released a statement the next morning that was mourning the loss of Barry and Honey Sherman, suspicions were confirmed. And it was then the police announced to the public not only that there was no forced entry into the home, but they also said that there was no danger to the public and that they were not searching for a suspect. And when they made those announcements, the rumor mill began churning. Was this a double suicide or a murder suicide? Because why else would they not be looking for someone? I mean, unless they just said that to kind of keep the community calm. But then that also makes me wonder if, and I'm sure we'll talk about, if it's plausible that this was a double suicide, if that could be why it appeared to be staged. So... I will say the police did seem to believe, at least at the beginning, in one of those two theories. So double suicide was actually, for most people, out of the question Mm -hmm. because they were in the process of building a new house. They had upcoming plans for a Florida trip in the next few days. Their youngest daughter... Right, it just seems kind of weird. Yeah, their youngest daughter was just about to get married. In fact, the last time that all the family would ever get together was their youngest daughter's engagement party. There was no suicide note left. And then why go through such an elaborate and painful method of death as strangulation? If double suicide were the manner of death. But given the fact that there were no suspects, that only left in most people's minds a single possibility. And this is actually what law enforcement explored at the beginning. Murder-suicide. Do they still believe that? No. So angered by the implications and adamant about protecting their parents and who they knew their parents were, the Sherman children actually urged the police to do a better job investigating since law enforcement did nothing to quell the murder-suicide rumors and, in fact, kind of 
fed into them. And fearing that law enforcement wouldn't do a better job investigating, the Sherman children actually hired their own experts. As they should. Yes. They hired one of the most prominent lawyers in all of Canada, Brian Greenspan, to help them. And under Greenspan's advice, they also hired a retired Ontario chief forensic pathologist to complete a second autopsy. Wow. As well as a retired Toronto police detective. So the people they turned to were definitely experts in their fields. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're not just hiring Joe Schmo, private detective. <laughs> Friends, as well, were incredulous of this murder-suicide theory. So family friend Murray Rubin told the show As It Happens, he said, quote, Let me tell you, I am absolutely confident that he was murdered. Barry would not harm a fly. He wasn't physical. And Honey loved what she was doing. And Barry's quite open. He was open with me. He never told me that he had problems with Honey that it would be a murder-suicide. I think it is completely out of character, end quote. So many people wondered how the police could have gotten it all so wrong. So something I just thought of is if we're saying it's murder-suicide, initially we're going to think that Barry murdered Honey and then killed himself, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But... I feel like that would almost be impossible because he had that lethargic problem, right? Where he was like slow moving, mm. didn't have a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So then are we trying to say that Honey killed Barry, then killed herself? No, I think I didn't read that as a possibility for anybody. I think most people believed that it was Barry who had murdered Honey and then committed suicide. So we'll talk about all of the reasons, including the one that you just gave, as to why police eventually changed their thinking a little bit. Gotcha. So even though there was a lot of criticism over law enforcement's handling of the case, and we'll talk about some of the mistakes that they made, during the course of the investigation, there were more than 50 officers who were assigned to the case. They collected more than 100 pieces of evidence to test for DNA from the home. They watched more than 2,000 hours of video footage, and they interviewed more than 240 people. So they have been putting so in some would, hours. So did the home have a lot of home security cameras? It did not. Hmm. Yeah. So we would not be in this situation if it if there were. Right. But if it had, yeah. Yeah. The Sherman's funeral was held on December 21st, 2017, and attended by around 6,000 people, including the Canadian Prime Minister. Wow. The family also took this opportunity to speak their piece about their beliefs concerning what happened to their parents. So their son, Jonathan, said the following, quote, These last few days have been a shocking adjustment to our reality. Before we could begin to grieve as a family and recover in a proper Jewish manner, we had to navigate through a terrifying maze of non-information and unfounded speculation, all while trying to support each other emotionally. We want to apologize to our close friends for shutting you out, especially knowing how much you wanted to be with us. This has been so incredibly painful and so bizarrely surreal. But we've been taking comfort in knowing that your hearts have been breaking for us. And for those of you, especially in blue, 
who are experiencing similar feelings of loss and emptiness and loneliness, remember this. Our parents never left anyone behind. They were taken from us, end quote. So, I mean, he's clarifying he does not believe in murder-suicide. He is saying this was a double homicide. Yeah, those are very strong words. Yeah. He then shifted to a focus on his family legacy, saying, quote, Our family legacy, like so many others, emerged like a phoenix from the ashes of European Holocaust, shattered and broken, only to rise and rebuild and to thrive. In honor of our parents, we promise to do the same thing now. My sisters and I pledge to rise again and to continue thriving and to continue building our parents' legacy of loving life, caring for others, and knowing, as our parents always reminded us, that with great privilege comes enormous responsibility. These last few days and in the coming speeches, we're all hearing a lot about who Honey and Barry were as a couple. We could talk for hours and days, and we can gather testimony into eternity, and we will still be scratching the surface of Honey and Barry. Like yin and yang, they completed a circle that encompassed everything important about what it means to be human. Neither one perfect, but together, wholly balanced and exceptional. One may have been soft, calm, brilliantly logical, staunchly atheist, and unconditionally loving and proud, while the other may have been firm, intensely energetic, brilliantly gregarious, silently spiritual, and unconditionally honest and caring. But together, they were everything and perfect." End quote. He's such a good public speaker. I know. And you can feel the love, right, that he has mm -hmm. for his parents. Yeah, and respect, mm -hmm. yes. It was a legacy that Jonathan promised to continue as he closed his eulogy by saying, quote, We are taking some comfort in knowing that you two are together forever, and neither of you had to suffer like we are suffering now. You were like a lock and a key each pretty useless on your own, but together you unlocked the whole world for yourselves and for us and for so many others. We promise to carry on your legacy of greatness and giving from now until forever, end quote. Wow. It actually took six weeks after the crime for police to fully admit in a press conference held on January 26th 2018, as son Jonathan and so many of their friends and families had urged all along, law enforcement finally said, quote, we believe we have sufficient evidence to describe this as a double homicide and that both were targeted, end quote. Now the investigation into the Sherman's death was about to take even more turns with more and more details of the crime and the timeline coming to light. Who might have had so much anger that they could target both Barry and Honey? Had they known their attacker or attackers? And why were their bodies staged? All that and more will be discussed in next week's episode. To close, I want to share the poem that was read to begin Barry and Honey Sherman's funeral, as I feel it reveals the duality of not only their image, but that of all of us. The poem is, Each of Us Has a Name, by the Ukrainian poet Zelda. 
Each of us has a name given by God and given by our parents. Each of us has a name given by our stature and our smile and given by what we wear. Each of us has a name given by the mountains and given by our walls. Each of us has a name given by the stars and given by our neighbors. Each of us has a name given by our sins and given by our longing. Each of us has a name given by our enemies and given by our love. Each of us has a name given by our celebrations and given by our work. Each of us has a name given by the seasons and given by our blindness. Each of us has a name given by the sea and given by our death. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. It's Love Notes with Maggie and Allison. We want to send lots of love to Amanda, who wrote us a five-star review on Facebook. Mm -hmm. She wrote, quote, Maggie and Allison are among my favorite podcasters of all time. I love the way they bring the stories to us and make us want to get involved to help families get closure. Thank you and keep up the great work. End quote. Amanda. We also want to send some love to Carolyn and to Kara for reaching out to us on social media this week. We loved hearing from you. And if you want to hear more from us, make sure you Mm -hmm. check out our Patreon, especially since these are literally the last few days to get in on the next round of swag boxes. Because Yeah, no exaggeration. Yes. Literally. Days. So for each of you who joins our Patreon at the $12, $15, or $20 level from March through May, you will get a swag box in May. And even if you don't want to join at one of those levels, you just want to join at the $5 level, you get access to bonus content and our eternal love. So So it's a win-win for everyone. It It is. And with that, all of our love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuth Hounds.